This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. And you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello, you are listening to the Blue Monday podcast. This is a three times weekly show looking into the exciting happenings of Ipswich Town Football Club available on podcast and YouTube. My name is Benjamin Bloom. I'll be here each and every Friday for the Blue Monday preview show with a special guest to get an insider view on the next opponents for Ipswich Town. Ladies and gentlemen, from the besotted website and podcast, welcome please Billy the Bee, how you doing, Billy? Not bad, mate. How are you? Yeah, a bit, <clears throat> bit lurgified. Can't quite, can't quite shift it, but it's half term, so I have to be, I have to be ill in half term. That's the rules. Um, can you give us a bit of a plug for your um, besotted stuff? And well, you do plenty of other stuff, don't you? Give, um, let people know where they can find you. Well, I mean, I, I write, I video blog, I podcast for Besotted. We're, a, uh, we're originally a fanzine, started back in sort of 1990, 1990, I think it was. So we've been going for ages and we've turned into a blog. So we write articles. So we've got besotted.com. If you check it out, we've got loads of articles up there as well. Then we started video blogging as well. So we've got loads of Brentford videos up there. We do lots of match day experience, as they call them, videos. And also we've got other stuff. You know, we went out to the Euros a couple of years ago, been to the World Cup, been to 12 World Cups, actually. And I've got videos probably far back as 1998 I think it is um, the World Cup in France so we've got all sorts of video blogs that we put out there as well going off to Russia again in a few months time which will be interesting and then uh, also uh, we do a podcast we do a twice weekly podcast we do a podcast on a Thursday night which is uh, is quite well. It's a Wednesday night we do it. it. Comes out on Thursday, which we do it in the pub every week, which is really good. And we stay in the pub for about four hours and we podcast. So by the time the end of the podcast happens, there's all sorts of uh, uh, allegations flying around, as you can imagine. Like you know, which is quite a good laugh as well. And then we do a post-match podcast. So after the Ipswich game on Saturday. Straight after the game, we speak to fans, home and away fans, in the pub about the game. So it's uh, straight from the heart as it is. So uh, you know what it's like. Sometimes you say things straight after the game and you listen back to it the following day. You think, oh, maybe I'll have a second thought about it. So it's quite a good vibe, actually. You can catch it on besotted.com forward slash audio and you get the post-match podcast will probably go up about mm, about seven o'clock on Saturday night. And also, we've also got a radio show Friday, the Thursday night. Which is uh, seven, no, nine till ten o'clock on Love Sport Radio. It's a new radio station. It's open up in London. Um, the people that um, 
made up uh, Talk Sport Radio, starting a new radio station called Love Sport Radio. And we've got the Brentford Fan Show with Besotted on Thursday night, 9 till 10. And we're actually going to have a little bit of a phone in on that one as well. So you can listen back to that on the Love Sport Radio website, which is lovesportradio.com. And also on besotted.com as well, we'll put a little uh, uh, podcast of that up. So we've got lots going on, which is which is all good. And there's lots going on, not only outside in our world, but also in the footballing world, in the Brentford world as well. Great stuff, great stuff. Um, let me take you back, Billy. We're going to August the 19th. We're going to Portman Road. It was Ipswich 2, Brentford 0. Um, Waghorn and Garner. Ipswich's fourth straight win. This seems a long time ago. No centre-halves. Brentford had 65% possession and 22 shots to five. What was your memories of the first game between Brentford and Ipswich this year? Well, let's just put it this way. Um... Obviously, first away game of the season, we didn't realise that it was going to be kind of the soundtrack to a lot of our season, especially the lot of the first half of our season. You get a little bit frustrated. Um, first away game, second away game of the season, actually, the first away game of the season was Sheffield United. Same, similar thing type happened when up there. So they just come up. Um, uh, we had a lot of the play. We had quite a good few good chances. They hit us with one goal. We were a bit gutted, but it was the first game of the season. By the time it came to the Ipswich game, obviously, you know, you get that much possession. I mean, I don't think that you can get out that Ipswich got out of their half in the first 20 minutes. Um, so, you know, but again, what's happened is that we're playing nice football. You come and hit us with a sucker blow. At the end of the day, listen, you've done the thing that you need to do. You put the ball in the back of the net. You've hit us hard. And we've been learning this lesson quite a lot all season Brentford you know um, we, we could play great football pretty football all the away fans coming up to us after the game fans uh, after the match even on our post-match podcast said oh my god you guys hammered us today you are absolutely fantastic you know but then we say but we didn't put the ball in the back of the net so that's you know that's that's how you suffer we didn't realize that Ipswich game would be replicated for the next three months in pretty much every single game that we played and it is it is frustrating but you know, I think it's also a lesson to us and we're learning a lot of lessons. We've been in this league now. It's the fourth season we've been in this league and we're learning a lot of lessons. Yes, we've been able to um, mix it with a lot of the teams, but also at the same time, we've also realised that it's great we play our particular style of football, but also you need to be able to work out how you can combat the teams like when Borough, you know, we've never been able to beat Borough in all the times that we played them. You know, we played them four times in one season. They smashed us four times in that same season. And why? Because they knew how we played and they countered it in a way that hit us on the break. You know, we played Cardiff, you know, we had, I don't know, 80% or 75% possession in that game, but they went bang, 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 and they hit us. And we didn't know how to combat their more physical, more direct game. So for us, we're learning a lot of lessons. And, you know, and it's taken us a few years. And also it's taken a few years for the fans to actually kind of get to grips with the, the different styles of what's happening out there. So, you know, listen, that Ipswich game was just one of, of many at, at that time of the season, which was completely and utterly frustrating. But... It's nine months later, nearly, and we're sort of still in the games almost. You know, we're, we're sniffing distance of the players, but probably not quite there. And that's probably testament to the fact that we didn't get points at places like Ipswich. Mm. Um, so much to say. Uh, you mentioned that the form kind of continued in that way. I looked it up and the remainder of the year. Um, oh, no, first. Sorry. Yeah. Up to the international break. Um, you're actually one above the relegation um, zone is, is there actually a balance issue in the way you were playing? Because surely if you're keeping the ball that much, but not scoring 
the goals? Was there actual a systematic problem or did it just take a while to get going with new signings and whatnot? Yeah, I think it's more the new signings and it's just, you know, it's a new team. We, we, and also tell you what it was as well. And, you know, we could say this now, you know, you know, you're not pointing fingers or sounding them out, but you have to say it as well. We also had a, we had a bit of an awkward scenario where we finished the back end of the season on fire. We're properly on fire. Um, after January, um, you know, we'd, we'd sold uh, Scott Hogan to Aston Villa for quite a I know that was the year before, wasn't it? No, but that, that season we bought Hotter in. That's it. So we bought Hotter in in January and he'd been away for two years. And before he uh, he actually got injured against Ipswich, actually, it was a couple of years ago. Um, it was Jonathan Douglas that injured him. Um, so he was out for about three or four months and he was on fire before he was out. Then he came back in. And he just wasn't on form at all. He just lost it. And Dean Smith had come in and they decided the best thing to do is to send him away to Spain to try and get his game back up. Because at that time, his value had plummeted massively and he wasn't any good to anyone. He went to Spain for nearly two years and and he was pretty um, average out there, let's say. So we had a bit of a predicament and we sort of said to him, listen, mate, you know, we sent you to Spain. You're not playing out there. You're not doing very well. You're signed to us. You've only got a year back on your contract. Look, you need to come back here and you need to just play your heart out because if you're going to get a match, you need to actually do something. He came back and he was wicked. So he kind of... He, we had to play Villa. We smashed them off the park 3-0. Brighton, you know, they got two late goals or a couple late goals, but they, you know, smashed them off the park. Everyone, we were playing really, really good football. We went into the back end of that season and we were playing, um, you know, we were playing very, very, very well. So we thought we we're going to come into this season off that same momentum. But the problem that we had was that Hotter was on his last year of his contract. Harley Dean was on his last year of his contract. So we had to play him to you know to make sure that he was in the window because we couldn't he didn't want to extend his contract because he felt he's going to go to premier league and get 40 grand a week so uh and, and we couldn't leave him on the bench because we had to play him so he's been played but you could see that his heart wasn't in it so we were kind of playing these players and it was almost like playing with sort of 10 players or 10 and a half players and it was really frustrating because you'd felt if we brought another player in they would have been really up for it and they would have been banging up but you know it wasn't so the first month you were playing with this team who just, you know, just wasn't just wasn't on fire. I mean, we played Wolves last game of the season and hot up, you know, one on one in front of the goal. Any other time, bang, we'd have put the ball in the back of the net. We'd have beaten Wolves. Can't remember the score. It was a draw. It's either one all or nil, or I can't even remember. But we would have beaten them two one. But we didn't. And it's those little fine margins which really kind of, you know, we struggled with. You know, Bristol City. Um, they said, and you know, I, sp- I speak to Rob from uh, from um, South Bristol. Spoke to him again the other day, and he said to me, you know, you're still the best team that we played all season, pretty much. He goes, when you played us, you completely annihilated us. And we got this last minute, seventh minute extra time equaliser out of the blue. I've got no idea how we, we equalise that game. So all of a sudden, you've gone from gaining two, three points to just gaining one point. You know, you start doing that two or three times. So we were very, very unlucky in that time. And new people like Ollie Watkins was getting into the to the vibe of the of of of, of playing sort of championship football from playing Division Two football. You know, and 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 Malpay had come over from France and he was feeling the vibe. And we got Makochko had just come over from Holland. You know, via South Africa. So all these people are trying to fit in to actually kind of what they had to do. And you know, they didn't realise it. Now Makochko comes from Holland. He's like. Wow, this championship game is, is is a different is a different story, you know. Now, if you see him, you think he gets it now, but it's taken him quite a while. Malpe, you know, he's he 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 runs around, he tries really hard, but he also has a few little nightmares, and it's taken him to now to you know he scored against Bristol City the other day, but he's finally getting his flow, and it's probably going to take him a full close season the next season to do it. So, 
that was part of the frustrations about that first um the first eight first probably two months two and a half months it wasn't until you know coming into sort of going on to sort of nearer to christmas time where we actually started to get in our flow absolutely um so you mentioned it there the run really really improves um you go up from 21st to 10th uh by the new year two defeats in 14 wins over fulham and villa um what 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 changed in in that run um and any standout wins those two i mentioned maybe Fulham, <laughs> it's, got, it's got to be in it. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously Fulham was was brilliant because Fulham came down and we were very worried when Fulham came to Griffin Park last season. Um, they were very good, and we, you know, listen. As much as we, we we're not, you know, they're, they're the big rivals to us. They are the big rival. You know, keep your eyes a rival as well, but Fulham is the big rival. And when they came down last season, they, you know, they at, at Griffin Park, they they taught us a bit of a uh, a lesson, as it was football lesson. We put our hand up and we said, well, actually, Fulham are quite good. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they go up, and we weren't surprised for them to get the playoffs. And they, you know, they 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 lost out, you know, at the sort of almost final hurdle, and they were gutted because they were actually certain that they were going to go up. And we were very worried about when Fulham come down this season because we thought, you know, we've had very good runs against Fulham. You know, we've had the 2-1 in the last minute, Hotter in the last minute, and we also had the 4-1 down at their place where we absolutely just tore them to pieces, which was just a joyous day. And, and I think some Brentford fans actually probably gave up going to any four football matches after that because they said it can never get any better. Um, I'm sure it can do. So, um, so that was great. So when Fulham came down to us, we were really worried but we just took them apart and we were we were we were tremendous on that day and the football that we played because it was one of those ones where it's like when Fulham fans were coming down again, if anyone, you know, we can't we we struggle against teams like, you know, Birmingham City or Barnsley or, you know, Cardiff because they kind of bully us off the ball. But everyone anyone wants to play football against us and match some football, we'll match anybody and beat them. So we thought, okay, well, you know, that's what we do. Let's let's see how it goes. We're a bit worried about this. And then we came down and we played the football and we played played them off the park. So it was really good. And they were very, very worried. But you know, obviously they picked themselves up a lot since then. And we're actually playing them in we play them next Saturday, actually. So we'll we'll see at their place how um how things have changed over the last three or four months, but that was a, that was a that was a that was a great result, I suppose. Also, considering we didn't win for our first, I think it was nine games, um, going up to Bolton, even though everyone says it's only Bolton, and actually beating them three nil and beating them comprehensively three nil at their place um, was good for us because it just got us out of that rut. Um, and so that was a first away victory for Brentford, and we we looked very good as well there. And the fact is that also a lot of the fans, even though we weren't getting any results for the first nine games, it was a bit of a really weird scenario. It's like there's no one was really worried. If you spoke to anyone, they're like going, ah, I'm not worried, you know, I'm not worried, Bill. It's all right. We're playing good football, you know. It's going to come. It's going to come. So there was no real fear. And even when we were 23rd and we were going to teams and teams were going, we've got to beat Brentford because we're 23rd. And we were like saying, well, it's a bit of a false position, actually, because we're playing quite good football. And then we play them and they go, oh, yes, you played quite good football, didn't you? We said, well, we did try to say to you, but you didn't listen to us. So it wasn't really out of fear. So getting that the result was good. And then a few weeks later, actually playing Millwall um, and we beat them at home 1-0 um, in the middle of October, just after an international break, I think it was, it might be just before. And uh, that was a tough game, actually, because Millwall came down. I think they hadn't won any games away from home. Um, pressure was on us to get a home win. We got you know, a goal. They missed a penalty, but they were really tough and they were really direct. And you see how Millwall play. And for us to have actually got that 1-0 result at home, looking back on it, 
we were actually really pleased because that was the type of team that we'd always lose against. So, uh, and then we just started to get a little bit of a mojo back and the players got more confidence. You know, it's like as soon as you start winning a few matches, people get more confidence and they start playing the ball around and, and, uh, and, it, and it was good. Inconsistent though, since start of the year, six wins, six defeats, three draws, which is proper mid-table um, stuff leading up to Saturday's game. So Brentford are 11th, Ipswich are 12th. They're, there's still a little way to go before they're a top six team. It's like the first, I don't know, three quarters of it is all right. The defensive record is okay. The passing's great. What What is missing to move them from 11th up into the playoff positions? Uh, I, I mean, if, if I'm, I'm sure that a lot of your, your listeners, they... Um... They read the website um, Experimental Three Five One or Three Six One. Sorry, Experimental Three Six One. We, um, we, as you know, we like a little bit of stats in, in Bredford, you know, mm. because our because our club is not, not run by stats, but what we do is that we use this to inform a lot some of the moves that we're making, you know. So a lot of the fans they all look at that as fans, you know, around the country do as well. And Experimental Three Six One have got these charts where they actually kind of they they they, they sort of plot out exactly how teams play in. And uh, Brentford are seen as being energetically wasteful it is right <laughs> which is basically and we're far we're further out than any of the other teams we're massively energetically wasteful which means that lots of energy we create lots of chances but we also miss lots of chances so i think that sums us up always top of most shots if you look at any point it's always brentford at the top of the most shots as well yeah and it's most shots and also this expected goals which is also what the quality of the shots or the quality of the chances that you're having as well so we're creating the chances but we're not putting them away so it's not rock science rocket science to answer that question that you know um if you know if you had one person who you know paid 40 million pounds for who 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 who, who can guarantee he's going to score you 20 goals a season at least you know in the team then you would be in a different position. But we're not a team like that. We can't buy players like this. So we have to bring players and bring them through. And eventually these players, they come through, you know, people like Scott Hogan, 750 grand from Rochdale. You bring him into the team and then eventually he starts scoring goals and then he becomes a you know a very valuable player within a short space of time. He plays less than 20 games for us and then we sell him off for £12 million. So the problem that we have is that we have to pick him up when no one else really has got an eyeball on them or we take a risk on these players and then it takes them a while to get them up and running and then we've got to try and hold them on for them as long enough so that we can actually try and get into those positions. So people like Ollie Watkins, he's still learning. You know, he's scored, what, eight or nine goals at the moment now. Maybe next season he'll score 15 goals. Malpay, even though people are moaning at him, I'm, I think he's in double figures now, like, you know, in his first season. Now, maybe in the following season, he might score 15 or 16 or 17 goals, you know. So that's, I think that's, that's, that's the scenario where we're at. We really need to basically convert the chances that we're, we're getting. And it isn't also necessarily about having a striker because everyone thinks, oh, striker goals because it's, you know, we were scoring goals from all over the park before. Hotter was putting goals, you know, scoring goals and converting and, and, and also, you know, passing and, and setting up goals as well so it's it's you know it's also having your scoring midfielders midfielders popping in and scoring when we were doing really well that season you know we had uh, um, uh, Pritchard Alex Pritchard was playing in, in, in attacking midfield for us so he was coming up there running at people and scoring goals and setting goals up so Alan Judge was scoring goals setting goals up so it's kind of getting your goals coming from all over the park you know getting your centre-backs to be popping up like Bristol City you know next minute he's coming up there and he's one of their top goal scorers like you know that is when you know that 
that you're a team where people are going to really fear you because they've got no idea where the goals are coming from. You're saying that we've got mid-season form. Yeah, that might be mid-season form, as you call it. However, you know, you've got to remember the fact that we didn't win uh, any any games for the first nine games of the season. So if that had changed and we had got maybe even one, two out of those lot, we would actually be in the playoffs. You're in the playoffs, you know? yeah, five, you know? five points and, off, yeah. And also one thing I will say, and we did beat Bristol City on the 2nd of April, which is uh, uh, it's a bit of a bit of a landmark for us because... Two seasons ago, we were having a horrendous spell where we were just going through. And I think that we, we didn't lose. Oh, I should check out exactly what the records were. We, we won, I think, two games in about 14 or 16 or something like that matches. It was like a really wrong, long spell, all the, going all the way from November. Or, 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 and it started all the way through to December. It's just after Boxing Day, actually. We beat Reading. And then after that, we beat Preston and we beat one other team. But other than that, we pretty much lost all the games. And I think there was probably one draw all the way through to the end of March. And there was lots of, oh, Smith out. Oh, no, it's just terrible football. Oh, you know, the, the, we lost 3-0 to QPR. And the fans were going absolutely ballistic. You know, we can't lose to QPR. This is embarrassing, the football. And it was a little bit limp. But a lot of the players were quite green and they were quite young. So it was great when we were in the up. But when they're on the down, they didn't. There was not any real sort of leaders on the pitch to pick them up. So we went through a proper slump. Anyway, came to the international break. We came back and then we uh, played Nottingham Forest on the second of April, and we won that match. It was quite surprising. Didn't affect it up at Forest. And after that, we didn't lose a match. We only lost one match between then and the end of the season. We pretty much won all our other matches. So. You know, there's a never say never with Brentford. You just never know. And I just, I like the fact that we won on the 2nd of April again this year because you never know if we carry on winning all our matches, then things may change. Very good. Um, I'm going to read you out the team that played against Bristol. Um, can you tell me how similar you think it will be on Saturday? And can you pick out three guys who us fans should look out for? So it was Bentley, um, Dalsgaard, Egan, Mepham and Barbe across the back. McEachran and I'm going to butcher this Makoto um, holding Joseph Zoon Sawyers and Judge back and Watkins up front. So how similar do you think that's going to be, Bill? And can you can you pick out three guys for us to to look out for? Again, it's difficult. I mean, I'm not Dean Smith, but what I'll say is that we obviously beat Bristol City. They did very well. Um, so this team is going to be pretty similar to that. I would have I would have thought. Um, again, I've got no inside information. I just would have thought that, you know, we've won that match. The other thing that obviously, but you, you know, which, you, you know, I'm sure that Dean Smith would think about, you know, obviously we've got a game against you on Saturday. Then we've got a game on Tuesday against Nottingham Forest. We've got another game on Saturday. So maybe he might want to rotate a few players in and out because of that. Um, unfortunately, Ryan Woods is out. So that means that he's not going to be in the side, which means that the, you know, the, the, the midfield is going to be, you know, probably set as it was. I mean, Makochko is a player who I do like. Like I said to you, he came from Holland. He came to the side. We thought he was going to be a bit of a bruising um, a midfielder. Somebody puts a stamp on the game and, 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 he, and he bullies people about. Um, quite similar to, you know, you had uh, Jonathan Douglas, where Jonathan Douglas was in our side before and, and he had that presence in midfield and we thought that we're going to get, you know, maybe a similar player to that. And when he came in, he wasn't that. He was actually much more technical and uh, he was one of these people that gets the ball and he... You know, his pass completion rate is like 90% or something ridiculous. Like, you know, that's what he does, gets with the ball. Now, he, 
found it a little bit tough to start off with. I think he found the, the, the league very fast, the last league very physical. Um, so he came in and out of the game, and uh, but he's been getting more and more game time recently, and he had a very good game at Bristol City. So it'll be interesting to see how Makochko deals with you guys, um, assuming he's in the side. Um, I'm gonna actually going to do a little bit of a cop-out here as well, and when you ask me about players, and I'm going to say Daniel Bentley, who's our goalkeeper. And you think, oh, no, you've done the goalkeeper talk. But the fact is that Daniel Bentley, even though we've been playing very well, he's also um, done some really good things to keep us in, in the game. So very, against, very, uh, athle- very athletic. He's one of these modern keepers, isn't he? He is. He is indeed. He's, um, I mean, there's a lot of people that reckon he's going to go all the way to the top. He's still got a lot to learn. He, uh, I mean, I like your keeper, Bel- uh, Bilowski. From what I've seen him, I think he's a very good, you know, and you've got to tip your hand. If you see players who are good, you sort of say, you know, he's a good player. And I think your keeper is a good play- keeper and ours is a good keeper as well. Sometimes his distribution can be a little bit off. But he kept us in the game against Sheffield United, which is a very tough game that we played last week. In the rain, you know, they decide to, you know, play the ball a little bit more direct, you know, free kicks and all that kind of stuff. And they're a little bit more physical than us. So he kept us very much in the game. So he's one, I would say, to look out for. But he's one who can, who could keep us in the game if the going gets tough. And then, I mean, who else is there? I mean, obviously, Wally Watkins, a lot of people talk about Wally Watkins. who's, who's You know, he's a very good player. But I, I am going to give a big up to Malpay because only because he's been, been getting a lot of grief recently um just because you know he's been thrown into the deep end um he was meant to be the substitute striker in the end he's ended up playing a lot more games than he was meant to play so uh, a lot of people have expected him to uh, to just just hit the ball running uh, admittedly he's probably found it tough at times admittedly he should have scored more goals than he should have done but um, you can see that he's a right pain. He's one of these players who's just a proper pain. You know, he's he's aggressive. He's just you know he he's he's in at in at players and he just does things that people don't expect. And against Bristol City, you know, I watched him sort of very carefully and he came on after seventy minutes and he was just kind of uh, he was confusing the defence. And you know, I mean, Bristol City. I mean, I don't know if you heard the game they had. It was uh, I think there's twenty seven shots to two um, um, was the the shot. Um, difference between us and Bristol City on on Monday and the two shots they had were off target and their expected goals was actually 0.0 which I've never heard that before which was really bad and all the Bristol City fans just said we've never seen our team just completely and utterly over two matches in a season humiliated by another team we don't understand why you're, you're not any higher and again the reason why is that we we need to put these balls in the back of the net but Malpay I just whether or not he starts or not maybe we might bring him off the bench again but he's he's just he is just a little He's a little terror and he, he just does not give up. And I, I really hope that he does get a few more goals under his belt to give him, you know, some more confidence this season because he needs it. Because after the goal he missed against Cardiff, which you may have seen, um, it was quite yeah. bad, actually. Yeah, it was quite bad. And that went viral. And he got a load of abuse from everyone about that that didn't know anything about him. And, you know, admittedly, he almost made it more difficult to miss that goal than actually put it in, you know, than the, you know, than if he could have you know, put it when he missed it. You know, so it's more difficult to miss it than put it in the back of the net. But um, shame about that. But he's come back off the back of that. And, you know, let's see if he gets a few more goals this season, hopefully um, on Saturday. So we know what sort of type of game it's going to be. And Mick went really tight and narrow in the last game. And obviously it, it did work. I mean, you're kind of flying by the seat of your pants with that type of tactics. So we're expecting Brentford to have at least 60, 60%. Although I suppose Ipswich are a bit, D-Mob happy. How are you how are you expecting it to, to pan out on Saturday? 
it's, it's difficult. I mean, it, we'll do what we have to do. It depends on what you do when you come down there. You know, you, are you going to bully us? Are you going to you, you're going to clam up? You're going to try and hit us on the break? You're going to go more direct? Are you going to be mixing up between playing? I mean, I, I don't know. We'll just do. You know, we'll just play our game. We that's 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 all we can do. And um, you know, sometimes we do. You know, sometimes we do tend to struggle against you know certain teams. You know, Barnsley come down and we sort of struggled against them. Burton even came down, we struggled against them. So, uh, but we're a little bit. We've moved on a little bit from when we played those games. Those games are played sort of last year, December, November, December last year. So we've you know we've changed the game up a little bit. So and and when Borough came down, you know, we 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 flipped our game where we were actually a little bit more physical than we we normally are. Unfortunately, uh, we got a player sent off, remains sent off uh, for um um. But you know that's that's that that was that, that was the way the, the game played out. So it'll be interesting to see. As I said to you, we're still very much learning this league and learning to how to play this league and how, in, how we can sort of flip and switch our games up. And I'm hoping that Brentford will have found a way to combat the Mick McCarthy style of football um, and, uh, and, 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 and hit you. So let's see how it goes. Excellent. Um, before we go to the Twitter questions, just a quick one on Ryan Woods, because he didn't play, um, there's personal reasons he didn't play the first game. And by some sheer act of buffoonery, he's managed to get himself suspended for this one. We had him at eighth in our top ten players we've seen this season, so I'm quite annoyed that I'm not going to get to not going to get to see him. Can you just talk a bit about Woods and his he? You know, you've mentioned um, you know big bids for Mepham and um... Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with Talksport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hogan sold for big money. Is he possibly the next one that's going to going to be the big money signing away in the summer? I mean, we, we, obviously we hate to sort of kind of, you know, 
put our players into the shop window like you know but I mean it's you know if you're a half decent scout you know you know about Ryan Woods every single game we go to the away fans always go who's the ginger kid mm. oh we want him he's wicked you know funnily Aston Villa fans that you know when we played them the first time and Ryan Woods played against them and we absolutely destroyed them they're like going oh my god that ginger kid we should we should buy him off Brentford and then they find out that actually he had a, he had a trial with them or he could have gone to Villa and then he decided <laughs> not to go there and we're just like well that's kind of how it goes guys you know it's right under your knows but you didn't actually take him because uh but uh but he's a very very good player and there's been there was rumors last um summer about teams being in for him i mean Sunderland were talking about being in for him i mean uh, obviously it's probably probably a wise move that he didn't go there actually but you know there's there's rumors about all sorts of different teams i mean birmingham who's saying that they were in for him in the in the january window i think it was but i think they were saying that just to wind us up because they'd obviously bought the three players from us for 12 million in the summer and they knew that that had upset the Brentford fans quite a lot um of course we got the last laugh now because they're uh, they're battling <laughs> against relegation but um ryan woods but there is a lot of rumor about about you know Ryan Woods, and we'd be stupid to think that no one is going to come in for him because they know that we're not even a sort of kind of Newcastle or a, even a Derby County who can hold off people for you know if you've got a player under contract for a year and say we're going to hold off for a year, we want you to stay with us for a year, we can see if we get the Premier League because the fact is that if somebody comes in and offers us you know twenty million for Ryan Woods, right, I think Brentford would go. He's a brilliant player, but thank you very much. We're going to, to take that 20 million. And that's, a, again, the frustration about being a, a team like us, which is we understand we're a small team. We're, uh, you know, we've only got limited resources. Um, we do very well with our limited resources, as you know, about the whole, st- you know, the way that we buy our players and the way that we, you know, buy players cheap and then, you know, we increase their value very quickly. Yeah, we're good at doing that. But the, the frustration as a fan who, even though we want enough club to be run well, on the flip side of it, we, we do get a little bit peed off when we see our players keep leaving when they just we start to get into them. You know, Scott Hogan, yeah, he's scoring a lot. Oh, no, he's left. See you later, Scott. Right, you know, so that's a bit frustrating. So Ryan Woods, will he go? I can't answer that question. Maybe he might turn around and say, actually, to be honest, if you're looking at this season here, how close we were away for promotion without, you know, maybe we just need one little cog. Maybe my better chance of getting into the Premier League is actually staying with this team for another season. Uh, if they if they've decided they're going to take it up a level and maybe the investment will be X, Y and Z in particular areas. And I actually believe they're going to do it. Maybe he might do that. I mean, he's on contract to us till for at least another couple of seasons, I think. So, you know, we don't have to sell him, but it's it does depend on what happens from outside. It's not it's not up to us, if, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, some Twitter questions, Bill. Um, I'll do these two together because they're kind of the same thing. Um, so this is Ollie Friston. Um, thoughts on the move away from Griffin Park? Sad to lose uh, one of the great EFL grounds and fears of doing a West Ham or a brave new chapter and foundation of the future. And Tom adds, can you not move away from Griffin Park, please? As it's one of the best away ends in the league. So this is definitely definitely happening now in, in West London, isn't it? When's when's it going through and what, what are your feelings about the move away? Yeah, thanks for the question, Ollie. And and Tom and you know, and I'll get your feelings about don't move away from Griffin Park. It's a lot of our Brentford fans feeling. Um Obviously, Griffin Park, I've been going to it since I was a Wii U and it is, you know, it is my football experience. It is uh, a, a, a lovely older um, ground with character is probably the best way to say it. It's quite funny because when you get certain fans that come down from particular clubs like 
Fulham or who, who is sort of maybe used to more modern football, you know, so that, the, you know, they've been getting the football for, they say, the last sort of 10 years. They go, oh, I hate going to Brentford because, you know, you know, you can't even get a, a comfortable seat or you can't even, you know, and, and you sort of think, OK, I do understand all these things, but it is quite, you know, it's 100 and odd years old stadium. And the whole thing about it is that it's kind of got a character about it. It's got a good atmosphere. You're close to the pitch. You can actually stand on the terraces, which you can't do at a lot of other places. So, you you know, and, 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 and the surrounding area is actually kind of really kind of conducive to having actually quite a good football away day experience. You know, everyone talks about the pubs on the corner, but other than the four pubs on the corner, if you go to besotted.com um, and you look at the previews, Ipswich preview, which is up there right now, we've got a whole list of pubs in Brentford, which stretches from Kew Bridge by pubs on the river. Um, the one over the eight, which is the pub where Brentford um, is on the site of where Brentford was actually founded in 1889. Um, yeah, founded. Um, actually, uh, yeah, the, the Brentford Rowing Club. So we've got, you know, things like that. Um, um, pubs and Cubridge pub, pubs and, and the area which we go to, which is on the other side of the flyover. So there's lots and lots of character in that whole area. So personally, I'm going to be absolutely gutted if we leave. We're actually kind of wryly smiling because we've managed to sort of pull the little trick where obviously we're building our new stadium. So we've been given dispensation to stay there for longer because our stadium has been built because normally we would have had to convert it into all seater stadium, but they've given us a dispensation. So the terraces are still there. So secretly, I think a lot of people are kind of hoping that we could string that out more and more and every year it's like oh no the stadium's gone back another year oh well, we're gonna have to stay in griffin park for another year we tell that to the away fans they're like oh brilliant we can come back another year so it's now gone back to december um 2019 we actually went to the the spade in the ground ceremony there was i a saw that on your twitter yeah yeah that's right so we went to that for a couple of weeks ago so they got you know a load of uh, the fan groups together and a load of sort of dignitaries and all that and they were just basically celebrating the fact that we are now actually really moving to nylon road it's meant to be moving in the middle of the season which is a bit strange and people mm. are trying to work that out they're thinking how's that going to work but i think that the football league has got a rule in place saying that if you're going to move mid-season, it has to be before December. And if it's not before December, then you have to move, you know, the following year. So I think they're obviously pushing for that target for December 2019. And if we hit it, we hit it. And if we don't, we just, you know, we deal with that accordingly. But yeah, of course, fans are going to be very upset. To be fair to the club now, they've actually done a lot of, because the fans are very nervous about um, atmosphere. I've been to so many grounds where the atmosphere has been horrendous. New grounds, you know, Wigan, the atmosphere has been horrendous. Bolton, the atmosphere is horrendous. Um, I mean, I could name you a whole list of places, you know, where the, the ground's been put together for various reasons. They're out of town, so it hasn't got the community vibe and everything like that. So to be fair to Brentford, you know, we've had sites beforehand which are in Western International Market, which is down by Hayes, in the middle of nowhere. They were talking about taking us to Woking at one stage. They were thinking of taking us to somewhere else. But in the end now, we've actually got a site which is um, probably half a mile. So it's probably about 10, to about 15 minutes at the most walk from Brentford. If you come in on the train, um, it's it's actually by Kew Bridge. So it's by Kew Bridge Station. It's by Kew Bridge itself. So it's in the middle of, you know, pretty much where we are at the moment now. Um, okay, it's not surrounded by houses as such, but it's still in a sort of kind of fairly kind of sort of, a, you know, a, a sort of community-ish area. Um, and uh, and like I said, it's down the road. And, and there's been a lot of input from the fans into making sure we, we were saying the atmosphere has got to be right. We've got to be tight. We've got to be by the pitch. The, the acoustics has got to be right. We've got the... 
you've got the designing for safe standing as well. So we've got, you know, as they use the term safe standing, we're going to have a sort of a, you know, a standing type facility there so that if, if the laws change, which we are working with the FSF, they're looking to get a big push in the laws over the next couple of years. That's the next big push after the, 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 the 20s plenty campaign, which is very successful, as you know, in the Premier League now. So the safe standing thing is now the next thing, which is the big push. So we're saying, well, we're a brand new stadium and we've got a big bank behind the goal where there's going to be, at the moment, 3,000 uh, seats which are standing. We're thinking if we can even extend that to even further, that would be quite good. So there's talks going on with the club about that now. So we're doing all these things, you know, to put it into place. But also at the same time, they're looking at what memorabilia and things we can bring from Griffin Park to 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 to, to, to retain the sort of the, the history and the, and the heritage of of the original ground as well. So we're hoping that the ground will actually have a little bit of character to it. It's not going to be a huge ground. I can tell you, it's it's only in vertical commerce 17,250. And the reason why we say that is that five years ago we had 4,000 fans. Um, now you know we're going into stadium, and and the owners they turned around and said, look, you know. We'd rather have a stadium which is tight, which we, we can fill, we can bring it with our fans, we bring 2,000 away fans to that, and it'll be buzzing and rocking every week. Um, it's fantastic people, you know, have these stadiums of 45 and 50 and 55,000 fans, but you look at Sunderland, Sunderland officially have, officially have 20,000 fans in a 55,000 um, stadium, but you know for a fact it's probably only about 12,500. The atmosphere is, is horrible, it's, it's really bad, and when you yo-yo in between up and down, that's just kind of, you know, that's what happens. So, you know, would you rather be in a stadium with lots of people that you know in a tight, buzzing stadium, which is just that you're excited to go to? And for me, this is my personal opinion. That's what I like. I know there's another Brentford fans who are thinking, really, we need to have a bigger stadium, you know, because we need to have more fans. And I'm thinking, what? So you want to have 9,000 Man United fans in your stadium, you know, because that's kind of what happens when you get a bigger stadium. All of a sudden it's like, right, we can give the away fans 10,000 tickets, like you know what I'm saying, you know, because that, then they, we can't fill it ourselves. So let's give them 10,000 tickets and then we can have, you know, 15,000 ourselves. And it's kind of like, well, which is cool, but I'm, 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 I'd rather have, you know, 15,000 Brentford fans in here who are buzzing to actually go to the game. Yeah, very good. Um, you can probably answer this in one word. This is Simo. Ask him, can we have their manager, Ben? Uh, Dean Smith, um, can you have your manager? Uh, well, the answer is, no, <laughs> no. Um, I mean, the fans have grown to like Dean Smith now. Um, it was difficult when he started off. Um, he goes on these runs where it's really funny. He goes on these runs of we don't win matches or we don't win very matches. Then we just win lots of matches in a row. You know, so we did that the first season. We did that the second season. This season, he seems to have kind of got a little bit more of a balance. And also the fact that the fans have seen him play some really, really fantastic football. He's obviously really great with the players. All the players big him up. They all say, you know, they've got so much respect for him. So I think the fans have got to turn around and say, look, you know, we got Dean Smith. He buys into what Brentford's about. He is a Brentford manager through and through. Um, he's a good, safe pair of hands as well, who gets us to play good football that, that the players like. And, he, and, he, and he's getting better. He's learning. He's almost like learning with us. Brentford are learning in this league and the manager is learning. So he might make mistakes first season. He's making probably less mistakes the second season. But by the fourth season, he'll be actually really good. So, you know, me personally, I've got a theory is that if, you, if you've got a manager and you think he's, you hire him, right, all this sort of firing people after three months business is just, I just think it's nonsense. I know we did the same thing with Dykehouse a few years ago, but we 
we put our hand up very early and said we actually made a really bad mistake with um, hiring this guy. He's a really nice guy, but we thought A, B, and C is going to happen. And we realized when he came in that it was actually going to be D, E, and F, and this is not right for us. So we did a very immediate kind of like we need to part company, but that was very unlike Brentford. But in general, we, I, I believe just like a, a company, if you're like a, a corporate company, you say, I believe you do your, your due diligence and you find someone, you give them an interview and you say, you're, I think you're going to be a, a very good MD for this company and you know, this is what you'll do. And then you you work together with these people to actually kind of help them to grow into the role and help them down the line. So two, three, four years time, they're actually kind of built into a better person. You send them on training courses, you, you, you give them, you know, a little bit of scope when they make mistakes and all this kind of stuff. And that's what a proper company does. And in football, technically, that's what they should do with a football coach. There's so much expectation for you to actually deliver in 30 seconds, right? Football, oh no, you know, we, we haven't won four matches, we just sack them. And I'm like, but you thought when you hired him, you thought he was a good manager. What's made him so rubbish now? You know, obviously you must have your due diligence must be rubbish in the first place because if, if you found all these things out now, that's not really good. So you've got to look at this person and say, this is what the strengths are. What they've got weaknesses here. Let's how can, how can we help the, to, to to strengthen that? So like with Dean Smith, you know, they put a, t- a team of people around him, and all of a sudden he's got two people around him. One O'Kelly who came who he came with. Um, from Walsall okay and they obviously tight the two of them then after they put Thomas Frank in who, who we brought in from Denmark who has probably got another side to the sort of technical knowledge and ability and the coaching side of things so there's a three of them now in there so Brentford have actually put these together and then afterwards they've put in the you know the free kick coach and the psychological people and all these other people who actually kind of form a team around D Smith to help him to become a better manager and to me that's how football teams should be working this guy we think is really good but he needs a bit of help here how can we help him how can we help him and I, I, I like that. And I think Dean Smith, you know, uh, I hope that he's going to be at Bradford for a very long time and grow with us because he understands what we're about. Um, there's other managers that have come to Brentford, but I think that they, they, they felt that, you know, if they're going to go elsewhere, they can, you know, they, 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 they'll do whatever they're going to do elsewhere. And it hasn't quite worked out for them because I think they, they didn't realise what they've had around them, which has actually helped. And I think that's very important. You know, you look at the clubs in even in the championships, there's certain clubs who who do very well. You know, Newcastle, OK, I know they had a lot of money, but also they had a good infrastructure around them. So even when they got relegated, you know, you got Rafa and then he built a good thing from the bottom to the top. So they made, made sure that they went up because they were quite organised, whereas Sunderland have come down and it's a complete and utter car crash. Like, you know, mm-hmm. Birmingham City is a complete and utter car crash. It really is. You know, so you can buy as many players as you want to for as much money as possible and you can wing all these players, these managers in and out. Ah, let's get him. Oh, no, he's not any good. But at the end of the day is that if the bed that you've got isn't really kind of made up and it's comfortable, it's always going to be a bit of a kind of rough sleep. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, This is Kieran. Um, He's gone a bit over my head with this one, but you'll know. Um, I have to ask, were you there for that calamitous game against Doncaster at the end of the 12-13 season? Talk us through the emotions that day. Doncaster has since gone to League Two, so it all ended up sweet for you guys. Was this one of these last day um, fight out games? This is the. This is the. Yeah. This is the. This is some Brentford fans. Um, I've still said it's one of the worst footballing days of their life. Um, if a lot of people don't know about it, if you go on to, like I said, we've got a YouTube site, which is uh, youtube.com forward slash besotted1992. That's B-E-E-S-O-T-T-E-D-1992. And I think one of the videos which is up there on the kind of like most watched videos is our day against Doncaster. It was the last day of the season. Uh, we were in Division 1, and basically we were playing Doncaster, and 
long story short, whoever won that game was going to get promoted to the oh, championship. Oh, this is a penalty at one. Right, yeah, go on, sorry. Yeah, so it was the last day, and so it was uh, whoever won that game was going to get get promoted. So the game was uh, Bournemouth were doing the business, so I think they looked like they were going to win the league, if I remember rightly. Um, and so it's out of us and 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 and, and Doncaster now. The thing is that we we just was, we were struggling. We were all right, but we just couldn't get through it. We just couldn't get past them all day. It was a nil-all draw. And we had pretty much resigned ourselves like, oh, no, we fluffed it because we only got the draw, which, if I remember rightly, the draw meant that we would have, because um, because Bournemouth had, um, because Bournemouth were winning, which meant that I think we were going to finish in third place. So we'd kind of resigned ourselves to not going up automatically. Then last minute, of course, we get a penalty. And I remember I was sort of standing up at the edge and also Lane is standing there and he was filming because he's just, let me just film the last few minutes of this game and everyone being really disappointed. All of a sudden he's filmed this film. He's actually filmed going up, us getting the penalty, the referee blowing the whistle. And then you could, if you watch a video, you've got like this, there's a girl and then it, she starts crying. We haven't even got the penalty in the pen. We haven't even taken it yet. And she's turning around and she's like crying, going, oh no, come on, I can't help it. And people turn around, they just couldn't watch it. It was really weird. Then you've got the whole period where, you know, you can see the sort of tussling because basically Kev O'Connor, uh, who's our captain at the time, he's a penalty taker. So he wanted to take the penalty, but Trotter, who is the Italian striker that we had on loan from Fulham, and everyone still thinks that it's Asian Trotter. They think that mm. Fulham sent him in to miss that penalty. He was tussling with him to try and get the ball. So there's a bit of a tussle. And in the end, Trotter took it and he put the ball down. And then you could see it and the whole place kind of goes silent, you know, as they took the penalty. And then boom, he smashes it against the crossbar. The ball comes back. And then, but the funny thing about it is that you don't see this on regular TV camera because obviously the TV cameras have panned away to the ball going up to the other end and then scoring. But you see, we're still filming at the time. The ball's gone up the other end, then they get the ball. We try to get it in there. It hits one of theirs, then the ball comes out, and then they go up the other end, and then they score. You can see a flare at the back end, but we've got this wide-view screen of the pitch. And then you see the Brentford players just collapse, like it's like they've been, I say napalm, but it's like they've just been some sort of, you know, chemical attack on the on the pitch. And they've just literally, they've all just collapsed on the floor. Like, like somebody's just knocked them out. It was really, really bad. And the players and the fans were just, oh, it was, it was a really, 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 really quite a horrible moment. And um, yeah, I mean, I can't say any more than that because that was just, you know, if you think about it, it was there and it snatched away from you. And also, you know, if you uh, speak to our owner as well, he's um, he's very, very, um, very much like I say, into the stats side of, side of things, you know, just because that's what he does his job. He's got a company called Smart Odds and what they do is that they, for a, for a living, they, they, they analyse football matches and sports games and they know, you know, what's going on all around the world and they make lots of money out of it. And he said that the ironic thing is that season we were by far better than Doncaster and Yeovil who actually ended up eventually in the playoffs because we lost in the playoff final to them, those two, but it was just one of those situations where luck didn't go with us in that game particularly and it just just didn't go with, with, with us at all so it was it was was a really 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 frustrating moment and there's a lot of fans that have never watched that video they said they can't watch that video i mean we do our besotted events um we did a besotted event we do like we actually did one in the fuller's brewery a couple of couple of months ago which is pretty good end of season so we got some ex-players to come down we talked about a lot of stuff and we actually showed the video from that um from that, uh, I think from that, from that, um, from that Doncaster game, and a lot of fans sort of had to turn around and say, "I can't, I still have never seen it. I can't watch it because it's so painful for them." But we're just like, "But, but we're all right now. 
we, you know, we're fine. You know, we've 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 come. We went up the following season, and Doncaster came down, and and Yeovil came down. So yes, there is a little bit of karma, I suppose, from that scenario. Uh, and some fans turn around, they actually say maybe that season was too early for us to go up, and we were much more much more ready to go up the following season. Um, if you probably ask people within the club, they say that's a lot of nonsense. We were totally and utterly ready to go up that season. It just didn't happen. I, I can totally empathise with that. I don't know if you saw on TV what happened to us away at Norwich this season, having not beaten them for... Um, I will not be able to watch that until we actually go and beat them. So I totally I totally get it. Um, yeah. Bit of a bit of a controversial one here. This is Joe. Have they got over the Luke Hyam tackle yet? Uh, their comments were way OTT at the time. Ooh, uh, controversial two years later. Um, the Luke Hyam tackle. Now... I mean, I was there at that game, and ironically, actually, because I talked about the April the 2nd game where we won our first game back after being on a terrible run, the ironic thing is that we um, we actually uh, played you, I think, possibly the following week, or it's, or it's the follow, it was the next away game, actually, was Ipswich, I think it was a couple of weeks later, where we played you, and... Um, we, uh, Alan Judge received this the, the tackle from Luke Hyam fairly early on, if I remember rightly. I remember the the the, the, the sort of you, you've got that sort of a machine that kind of wheeled onto the pitch, and it was on there for ages. It seemed to be on there for like 15 minutes or so, and we knew it was a really bad injury. Um, I saw the tackle. I thought the tackle was absolutely horrendous, um, and then obviously Alan Judge got wheeled off. But the ironic thing about it is that after that, it actually galvanised our team. And I'm not saying we wanted Alan Judge to be injured at all, but we didn't. But we were really quite angry because we thought that was so unnecessary it was very 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 nasty um it galvanized the team and it also galvanized the players and like i said to you we pretty much didn't lose a game after that but you know uh, i i i know you you know it's much easier to talk about this two years later and you could probably talk about it with a, a much more um uh, you know a little bit more uh, of, of, of a balanced view because at the time you know you get angry and you say certain things you know and you know apologize to any Ipswich fans who may have been upset by any Brentford fans that said things at the time but you've got to understand you know at the time he was our key player he was actually our only player at the time I wouldn't say only because I'm not going to be disrespectful to the other players but he was the key player that we had in our team who was who was who was doing something if Alan Judge had a good game the team had a good game if Alan Judge had a bad game the team had a bad game so everything was pretty much going through him so taking him out, we were like, we were probably, properly worried we were, you know. Now, Alan Judd, after that, he was gutted because he was, he was, well, he was lined up for a move. Apparently, he talked about this beforehand. He was lined up to go to the Euros as well with Ireland um, in, in the summer. Um, so there's lots of things that were, that, that were going to be happening for him, which obviously this tackle had changed now. He says that it was out of order and a lot of football um, Ipswich fans were saying, oh, you know, he didn't mean to do it. He's not that type of player. Um, Alan Judge never watched football for a year after that. He said he just couldn't watch it. Every time he tried to watch it, he couldn't do because he felt so gutted. Then eventually he started to watch it a few, and a few friends used to come down to try and coax him through that from a sort of psychological point of view. Eventually he's got back, you know, two years later, he's trained up and he started to play a lot of games for our B team. Then he's got inside the sides, played a lot of sub games. He's been very, very frustrated because he wants to get out there. He's actually played his first start against Bristol City on last Tuesday, last Monday, which is good for him. Now, he actually had an article in the Sunday Times about a month ago where he talked for the very first time about that scenario. And this is what, he, this is what the article said. So Alan Judge pulls down his sock to reveal a large blue lump on his lower right leg where he suffered a compound fracture. Just above the knee on his left leg is a six centimetre scar. 
That is from the same tackle. He's gone right through me and he's cut my left leg. So I'm lying face first on the ground. And the physio comes on and says, what leg is it? I said, it's my right leg. And he says, are you sure? The blood's coming from your left leg. He thought that I was panicking. But then he turned me over and he knew it was my right leg. It was mangled. It probably just goes to show the force of the tackle. The perpetrator, Luke Heim of Ipswich Town, appeared to take the ball and then the player lunging in a two-footed at speed, though he wasn't booked. Hyam text judge afterwards when he was in hospital and then the Ipswich manager, Mick McCarthy, got in touch. He rang and apologised because my manager wasn't happy with his comments straight after the game where he said it was a fair tackle. I don't think Mick had seen the replay. Anybody who did know this or anyone who did knows it wasn't a fair tackle and that the force was unnecessary. So that's from Alan Judge. It's not from us or the fans. We thought it was pretty hardcore, but he obviously thinks it was all hardcore. His foot was mangled. He's got blood on his other foot because it's gone right through one leg to the other. Um, it, it, it was pretty, uh, it, it was definitely, I, 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 I'm not sure, I want to say this because of probably legal reasons because I can't say that, but I think that there was probably more, well, there's definitely more force in that tackle than there should have been. Um, in a game like that. And I would say that it's probably quite likely that Alan Judge was, he's the main man. If you take him out, then they haven't got, you know, they're going to have less players, you know, they're going to have less, 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 less potent than they would be. And that's, that's all I could say. But it's two years down the line, it's gone. We've moved on. Everyone else has moved on. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> one Ipswich fans will be very interested in. Um, this is Super Friends. Ask him, should we hire Mark Warburton? as our next manager and James also says what's the true Warburton his time at Brentford or Forest Rangers did he just get lucky at Brentford so obviously he's quite heavily linked and he's in he's in the betting um if you were Marcus Evans Bill would you hire Mark Warburton Um, tread carefully this is a very very unfair question because it's it it's, water, it's, it's now water under a bridge for Brentford. So it's very, very difficult because there's a lot of things that have gone on and we're in a different place. So I can't answer that question as Marcus Evans. What I will say, um, I'll, and I'll just pan it out. I'll try, I'll try and do it as briefly as I can do. Mark Warburton, um, uh, he was brilliant for Brentford at the time. It was great. Um, you have to remember, and he, and he asked, is Mark Warburton, you know, was he um, lucky at Brentford and didn't work out the other two places? What I would say is that, and it probably comes back to what I had talked about before, Mark Warburton initially was a, uh, in effect, a youth team coach, right, at Watford. Then afterwards, he, he came into Brentford because I think the owner liked his ethos. And, you know, so he was doing some sort of coaching stuff or some youth team. You know, he was just doing some bits, in effect. And this is not putting down his job, but that he kind of was. Then he, he moved into a director of football role. So he's the director of football when Ruve Rosler was at Brentford. So Ruve Rosler was the person who the owner bought in to start what he perceived as he wanted to have this more attacking, free-flowing, you know, playing inverted commas, proper football kind of stuff. So Uwe came in with Mark Warburton being the person who in effect was meant to be buying the players, but also Mark had a view on the style of football, which was very much the same view as what the owners was. So that was great. Uwe Rosler comes in, he was doing brilliant. He got Brentford to, you know, to convert from like hoofing the ball up sort of 25 yards every time they got the ball to actually playing the ball on the deck, um, which was quite a hard transition, I must admit, from not only the, the players, but for the fans, because every time the player got the ball, and you go, oh, get the ball up there. And he's like, no, no, no. And he, they'd be like passing the ball around. So we were just on the verge. It was about December time. We were on the verge of promotion um, or getting into the promotion pots in Division 1. And then Uwe Ross had just left out of the blue. So I called, blimey, he just left. Why would he do that? You know, Wigan 
offered him more money at Manchester. So we were gutted. Mark Warburton was uh, given the job to find the next manager, and he had all these big heavy hitters on the on the on the list, um, including. I don't know, I, I presume sort of Neil Warnock and probably, I don't know, Ian Holloway probably, I think, you know, uh, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank was probably in there as well. You know, so he had about 20, 25, 20, 30 names on the list um, looking for the next manager because that, that was his job. And then um, he really wanted to get into coaching. He went up, basically went up the owner and went, get his job, you know. <laughs> and the owner went, all right then. And he literally gave him the job. And it was a weird one because we were on the verge of like doing promotion. Now, how many people would give somebody who basically had no experience of manager to give a team who you wanted to get or needed to get a promotion, but said, tell you something, I just like what you do. So he gave him the job and he did very well and they worked together and he had lots of good contacts in the academies and stuff like that. So we brought in players like Adam Forshaw and Arnie Dean and you know they brought in Alan Judge at the time. So it was all good. So he did very well for us um, at that time. But at the same time, also, you have to remember the owner who has got this company who's very good at identifying players through this whole statistical. I mean, he was throwing into the plot, you know, players like Andre Gray. I oh, know that came a little bit later, but he was throwing players into the pot like Talkowski for a start. He, was, he came out of this whole kind of system. So between themselves, it was working really well. You've got the owner, it's people identifying people, and they were saying, go and have a look at them. And then Warburton was getting his people to scout players from the youth team and putting them into the pot. Worked brilliantly for us. We went up that season. The following summer, we brought Andre Gray. He was a big statistical signing from the from the owner side of things. You've got um, who is uh, you got Scott Hogan, who we got as well. You know, same as well. You know, that that side of things. You've got um, Moses Odebarjo. So this was all happening. So you've got this really wicked little setup where you've got Mark Warburton, who's a real good people person. You've got little stats identifying players. Then you've got Warburton with his contacts and people coming through the academies and. Really good setup. And then you've got Brentford's whole setup, which also worked the whole infrastructure thing. And then, you know, as time went on, it went a little bit horribly wrong, even though we were doing very well. The same season that we got to playoffs with you. And um, the long story short of it, you know, like I said to you, he um, it, it, there was a disagreement, right? Um, he wasn't sacked. There was a disagreement between him and the owner in the mid-season. Um, basically, Warburton wanted the final say on players, and this news is out there, so it's not like it's not like this is hidden and underground stuff. He wanted his final say on the players, but the, the owner wanted a head coach, somebody who coaches the players, and he wanted the final say to be something which was a, in effect, as a joint thing. So you know, the 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 the, the, the head coach or the manager could have their input in there. Everyone else have their input in there, but it, it wasn't down to one person to block any players. And the owner put that into place and it was something that it seems that, you know, Mark Warburton couldn't work with him. And so, in effect, we parted company with him. We tried a couple of managers. It didn't quite work out. And we found ourselves with Dean Smith. Now, um, I think that and listen, this, this is just me sort of saying this and it's a bit of an elephant in the room for kind of Brentford fans. This is not knocking Warburton or his people or anything like that. Listen, this happens in business. You, you go into business sometimes and you might say, this is right for me or this isn't right for me. They've made a business decision. The owner's decided, this is my club. This is, what I'm gonna, this is how I want to run my club. Uh, Warburton turn around and say, okay, I accept that. I don't accept that. He decides that he's not going to accept that. So he goes about his business and gets another job. That's just kind of how it goes. You know, Dean Smith comes in. He can, if, he, if he didn't like the way the company, the, the club has run, he doesn't have to come there. You know, somebody else will come there. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you've got to have everybody kind of batting on the same side. And that's that, that's what I, and I think that, you know, as Warburton's gone on, and I'll just say this from from just looking at what else has happened there, I think they possibly underestimated the infrastructure around him and the team 
that kind of what everything else has been brought to the table. Yes, he did his coaching and he, and he knew his youth team players and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, everyone's got to pull in the same direction. You know, the fact that the club sort of plays the same football from the bottom to the up now, from our B team all the way through, you know, we've got that, which is something we've been developing over years. We're producing quality players now like Chris Meppham. And, you know, there's a number of people in our coaching team. You know, we had, a, you know, people laughed about our free kick, you know, coach. You know, there's, you know, people with, at the time that they weren't happy that, that we had this idea of bringing a free kick coach, but our free kicks were rubbish, you know. So we had to get him from being rubbish to being probably not so rubbish or even sort of quite good, you know, but, you know, Oh, not, not having all these elements inside there, but it really, really, really does work for us. But the other thing I'll say about the Warburton, which we loved at the time, is the fact that we were playing this wicked, wicked football. We were just passing the ball up the wings on the left and the right and, you know, and smashing people. And if we smash them off the park, we smash them off the park. But then if we didn't smash them off the park, you know, we get tonked by Borough four times in the season because they sussed out our, our, our style of play. And his theory, we'd say, OK, we're playing really well, but it's not working. What's the plan B? And he said, plan B is to do plan A better. Now, we loved that at the time because we think, yeah, we're Brentford and we just do plan A better because all we do is we play this really wicked style of football. But then we realised that it did actually really have its limitations because when teams suss you out and they really suss you out and they know how technically how to sort of kind of counter that, you find yourself struggling. And also we did find ourselves actually not much strength in depth. So not, not very many of our players got injured that season. But if all of a sudden, if Andre Gray got injured or some of the central defenders got injured or, or, or midfielder Hotter got that injured, we would have had not much on the bench. And, we, you know, we needed a much more strength in depth, you know, um, at the time. But these are things that you, that you learn about. So, um, you know, what I'll say about, you know, Warburton Nakasitu is, 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 I think he's a very good man manager because players do seem to like him. I might be wrong. I don't know what happened intricately at Forest. I don't know intricately what happened at Rangers. Um, but as he come away from Brentford, if me looking at it from the outside, I say that the recruitment, hasn't been as strong as it was when it was here. Um, and again, you, you know, you ask Rangers fans what they think, you know, you ask Forest fans what they think. And you've got to have a whole pot. And I think, you know, the infrastructure has got to be right for certain people to go in there and deal with it. I can't say whether or not Marcus should be uh, employing Mark or not, because he may have he may have his own thoughts and, and his own reasons. But as far as I'm concerned, Mark Warburton, I wish him all the best in whichever next job it will be, I can say to you, as long as it's not Fulham or QPR. <laughs> Great insight. Um, wonderful stuff. Right, one more, one more, Billy. Um, this is Slower Ball. Um, my granddad was a Brentford fan. They will always be on my radar. He talked of players like Alan Hawley, Ken Coote and Jim Towers. Could you Sorry. please ask Billy which players he has admired the most over the years? And does he think that Jerry Cakebread is the best footballer name ever. He's gone right over my head there, Bill. I hope you know. <laughs> no, the proper old school. And I said, if, if Dave Lane, who I do, um, we, we do besotted together, um, Dave Lane, Dave Lane does a lot of historical Brentford books, you know, big book of the 90s, uh, the 70s, 60s, you know, he's done the, the one, two, five year book because it's 125 years of uh, Brentford. He did that book as well. And also now it's the, it's the big Brentford book, which is actually out in the Brentford store as well now, which has got some really, really, really fantastic old school stories that you've got to read that he's just dug up from the vaults and great photographs. So he knows all these Ken Coote and these Jerry uh, great um, cake bread who has got a fantastic name. And I, and, and, and you've caught me on the hop here because I, I can't think of a better name than the old cake bread. Um, but if I do come up with one, I'll come up with um, one in a minute, but you know, coming back to who are the players who are my favorite players are the ones that, um, that, 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 you know, historically kind of make me feel warm. Um, it's a, a, a lot of this normally comes down to a time when you are, 
you know, when you are in your sort of kind of say formative years, but so mm. maybe the years after you, uh, you know, you, you, you leave school, you know, you've got a bit of disposable income, you start going to games up and down the country. That's when it normally seems to be where players actually have their fondest memories of, uh, of their football club and their, and, their, and their teams. Because sometimes they actually really get into play because they've been going to games and probably games home and away all the time they probably get into teams and players when they actually probably don't perform very well um but i love the era where i love um obviously dean holsworth was um a player who scored a, a shed loads of goals for brentford so um as a goal scorer he that was very exciting times for us um lloyd awusu is one oh, of my yeah. favorite players as well um and he came he was in the side where actually when ron nodes was manager so ron nodes was manager i think it was from 1999 is this and herman what a player i mean he, he bought in to be fair i mean we were in division two at the time and he spent a load of money on brentford we didn't realize he was actually spending our money and sort of spending money that you know the ground and all sorts of stuff that you know that we didn't realize was going on we were just happy to be there just turning up in games in white weeks you know ron nodes weeks at the time but he um you know he had ron nodes as manager then he had three coaches um he had um oh god what was his uh, england manager um england oh god oh, my brain's gone anyway steve um, uh, no no not steve couple steve couple came a little bit later but it was uh i'll remember him he lived in richmond but um so he had three coaches anyway um and uh so he had a, a i think he's an attacking coach a midfield coach defensive coach or something like that and uh it was a, a really and then ron knows i think sort of kind of turned up and picked up the pick the team on the day and he just let them do all the work um but it was it was great times and he bought some really really good team you know a few players from crystal palace you know he bought um um you know he just bought you know it, it bought a very 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 good team which ended up going promoted got promoted straight back out of division um two uh that year um martin rowlands as well who was a big brentford flavor at the time he became the pantomime villain after that because he went to qpr and kissed his badge and did all sorts of things which weren't very nice and said how rubbish brentford were so he's not very happy with him but at the time you know we loved players like him and it was a very very good era so lloyd awusu absolutely brilliant brilliant player and uh he makes me feel uh very happy when i sort of see his goals than he does his uh lloyd awusu lofting um sort of thing celebration after that but there's um you know i mean i could kind of go on but i don't want to bore all your you know <laughs> listeners and stuff bore them to death as it is now you know um yeah it was uh it was, it's good it's good you got to remember brentford have been you know fairly you know and this is not putting brentford down but we've been pretty rubbish for like you know the whole of my lifetime you know so we've done nothing so we've got to get sort of we get small pleasures a out of going to brentford and sort of enjoying ourselves in and around the pubs because that's kind of how we got our pleasure because you know when we go to the game we've got this thing that we says try and kick football out of football because the problem is that when you get the game the game's actually normally quite rubbish so we used to always kind of enjoy ourselves on the way to the game on the way back from the game around the game and that's what we kind of have to do. Things are probably sort of a little bit different now. So, um, so there was a lot of players who were probably, you know, we enjoyed the experience of them being part of Brentford and they all end up being part of Brentford. You know what I'm saying? Some of them may have not been the best players in the world, but they were 
our players and they kind of made Brentford what it was. But there was a few corkers. Chris Kamara actually played for Brentford. Um, he was the first one of the, I think he's the first or second black player to ever play for Brentford. I think he was the first black player. And I remember when I was a, a young little nipper and I was so excited, you know, when he came to join the club from Swindon. I think I remember went, I kind of went down to the club when he was on his signing day to sort of meet him. Like, Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm really glad that you come down to Brentford. Um, but that was, a, that, that was a moment. He was actually in the midfield with this Chris Kamara, Terry Herlock and Stan Bowles in our midfield. And people even say this now, even though it's probably not true, but they say that's the best Brentford midfield ever. They were just fantastic passing the ball around and the, the flair and stuff. It was, uh, it was a very, very good midfield. So, uh, yeah, some good times. Great stuff. That's what it's all about, though, isn't it? Hey, um, Billy, thank you so much for um, giving us so much of your time. Um, just uh, before we finish the call, can you just give one more plug? Um, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they find you after the game if they want to be on the Besotted podcast? Well, like I said to you, we're at Besotted, B-E-E-S-O-T-T-E-D. Uh, I'm at, at Billy the B 99 as well. It's my own personal one. But also you can get us besotted.com. Um, so that's our website. You can get there as well. And if you go onto that, you can click onto the podcast, which is on there. You can also click onto the uh, the videos as well. So it's got videos on there as well. And after the game, I mean, we normally sort of mosey around after the game. You can sort of kind of catch us. It's difficult. You know, you can catch us. But um, I don't know. We, we might actually, there's a pub that, you know, which is the nearest one to the, to the Ipswich end, which is the, the Griffin pub. So sometimes we sort of kind of hang in outside the Griffin pub as well with the microphone, shove it under people's noses. If you want to actually give a view of what you thought, how the game went, you know, did you enjoy yourself at Brentford? Did you not enjoy yourself at Brentford? Do you, you know, just anything, you know, we want to do, just come up to us and just, just tap us on the shoulder and just say, look, I wouldn't mind giving you a little bit of chat. And it's not a problem at all. And you come down to Brentford and we said to you, we've always said this, um, it's open and friendly. You can go to any pub around there. There's no bouncers on the doors. There's none of that. We don't do any of that business. They tried to kind of lock it down a little bit at Brentford one time and tried to get us to get bouncers on the doors of pubs. We said that's not really how we do things at Brentford. We tried to have a, an open arms policy and let people come down and enjoy themselves as long as you have, as we say, manners. You know, you come down there and you respect the locals. We respect you. Come have a drink. Come and have a little chat. And uh, and and that's it. And, and and you won't have any problems, like you know. Great stuff, Billy. Thank you so much for coming on. No worries, man. Have a good day. Thanks. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.